Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, been a little bit of a different experience for me than I've had in the last few years to be able to do like a little short series of sermons instead of just coming in for a Sunday and filling in for one Sunday uh, every six or seven months or so. So it's been good. So we've been talking about living stones, and so uh, today will be the last day you have to hear First Peter chapter 2 for a while, unless Corey decides he wants to go uh, on a tangent and do something with that. So in First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, when we read that, we've read that Jesus was rejected by people, but he was very precious to God. But as I was thinking about Jesus being that living stone that we run to, Jesus was, first of all, a rejected stone. The religious leaders of his day rejected him. Secondly, he was a sacrifice stone. He was nailed to the cross for you and me. But he became the cornerstone, the foundation upon which our faith is built, but he also became the stumbling stone, a stumbling block, the Bible says, for those who don't know him. And then finally, he's a resurrected stone. That's the most important. He's a resurrected stone. He sits at the right hand of God, the Bible says, and intercedes for us even as we gather in this place today. And so uh, then Peter says that we Followers of Jesus are living stones because we share in Jesus' resurrection. And he says we're being built into a spiritual house for spiritual sacrifices. Sacrifices that are acceptable because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you and me. And so there's a whole bunch wrapped up in Jesus being the living stone that we run to and our lives as living stones as we come together as the body of Christ and we minister in this place that God has called us. And then in Romans 12, Paul takes out a little bit, a little bit different angle, but still the same concept. He says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So Paul calls us not to be living stones, but to be a living sacrifice, which he says is our spiritual service of worship. We come to God and we offer ourselves to him. Actually, it's a higher calling than being a living stone, I think, because it calls us to sacrifice our yielded life to Jesus. I've said the last couple of weeks, if Jesus died for me, the least I can do is live for him. And we don't come to him with Old Testament blood sacrifices of slain animals, but we, came with, we come with the sacrifice of a yielded life. We offer over to Jesus everything that we are. And so it's a higher calling than, than, uh, than we think oftentimes. And so today I want to think about our calling and our mission. What is our mission? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in the 17th verse, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
So how could they do that? Go from one minute being fishermen to the next minute following after Jesus. They were just fishermen. And often, you know, we, whenever we talk about the disciples, we talk about them being uneducated. And the religious leaders of the day said, you know, these are uneducated men. How can they do the things that they do? Well, you know, I, I was doing a, a, a little bit of thinking about what it meant to be uneducated in Jesus' day. Now, it doesn't mean maybe what we're thinking in our minds, because the children in Jesus' day did go to school. I mean, what else were they going to do with their day other than go to school? So there were three different options for them, and I want to just kind of tell you a little bit about it. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, kids were taught the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, in the local synagogue from the ages of between six and ten years of age. They had classes five days a week. These classes were called the Bet Sefer, or the House of the Book. And once the, they turned 10 years old, most Jewish kids were pretty much finished with school. At this point, they were sent home to learn the family trade, to become fishermen or to become carpenters. And that would have been the point where the disciples were. They would have gone through the house of the book and had been taught the Torah for five years and then sent off to become fishermen. The kids who were the best of the best among those kids were allowed to continue in school in something called Bet Talmud, or the House of Learning. Here they studied the Hebrew Scriptures between the ages of 10 and 14, and during this time they also learned the, learned the Jewish art of questions and answers. Instead of answering with a answer, they were taught to answer with another question. And in this way, they could demonstrate both their knowledge and their regard for the Scripture. So the kids, the, the best of the best of those kids who went through the first five years were able to move on to the second five years in the house of learning. But then, very few of those students ever made it beyond Bet Talmud to the next level, which is called Bet Midrash, or house of study. If you were smart enough and you knew your scriptures well enough to make it this far, you were given the opportunity to go to a rabbi to seek further education. The rabbi would grill you and ask you all kinds of questions because he was trying to find out if you were good enough to be his student. So the disciples, being uneducated, had stopped learning or going to school after the first five years of school. So it wasn't that they were totally uneducated, but they weren't educated in the sense of the religious, as the religious leaders thought they ought to be educated. So they were literally not good enough to continue in their education. But the students who got to Bet Midrash, if you notice, there's a difference there. They went to the rabbi and asked the rabbi if they could be his student. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went to his disciples and said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there's a big difference between what Jesus did and the religious leaders of his day did. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of background what it meant to be uneducated. Uh, they, they weren't totally ignorant or illiterate, but they weren't educated in the sense of the religious leaders and, and uh, able to be rabbis themselves, but rather they did the family business, fishermen or carpentry or whatever their family business happened to be. So our mission, as we gather here as a body of Christ, our mission is to share what we know to be true. 
our story. We can share what we know to be true about Jesus, how Jesus has come into my life and how he has changed my life. But you know, none of us can fulfill the mission that Jesus calls us to on our own. All followers of Jesus are called to be part of the mission by coming together as you and I come together today and using our gifts and abilities in the kingdom of God. So the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The last words that Jesus said to his disciples were in Matthew and Acts. In Matthew he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples is, go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them. And then in Acts chapter 1, the literal last words he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So the first thing that I want to talk about this morning as we talk about our mission is that we have to believe the authority of Jesus. We have to believe the authority of Jesus. We recognize that we're not doing this on our own. I didn't wake up one morning and said, oh, I'm going to go out and tell people about Jesus. I didn't, I, that didn't happen. What happened was is that Jesus changed my life, and as I learned and grew and studied the scriptures, I began to realize there's more to this Christian life than just coming to church and listening to sermons and then going out and living my life. I am called to go and make disciples. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Someone has said about the Great Commission, the Great Commission is one of the best known and most ignored passages of Scripture in the Bible. And I thought about that. That's, I think that's often true. The Great Commission is the, maybe one of the most well-known but most often ignored passages of Scripture because it challenges us. Those words apply to me as a disciple of Jesus. They should be at the center of everything that we do as a church and as individual Christians. We have, you know, we have to realize that there are billions of people in the world, aren't there? There are billions of people in the world, who, and there are billions of people who haven't heard the gospel. Some of those people are in our very community. Some of them are our neighbors and our friends and our family. Many of them live in other parts of the world. Some of these people have been exposed to the gospel, but many others have not been exposed to the gospel. There are great differences in these groups of people, but they all have one thing in common. Jesus is the only one who can save them. They are billions of people across the, across the earth, they all have different things going on in their life. They're, they're all different and very, very, we're very, we would be very uncomfortable in some places, but they all have one thing in common. Jesus is the only one who can forgive their sin and save them 
uh, and, and give them a home with him forever in heaven. So we have to believe the authority of Jesus, first of all, so that secondly, we can obey the commands of Jesus. So Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men first. We have to have people in, to engage with and to talk with. And then he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So that means we aren't simply called to sit in the pew or sit in the seat on Sunday morning and listen to sermons. That's very important for us to come together as a family, as a, as a body of Christ, and to be encouraged and to be challenged and to share with one another our hurts and our joys. That is very, very important, but it's not the only thing that we are to do as the body of Christ. We are called to actively live as followers of Jesus in our families, our communities, our workplaces, our schools, and as we go, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, what he's really saying is, as we go, we're called to share the gospel. We proclaim with our words and our actions, Jesus is Lord. As we live our life, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we're in our home, as we're at, in line at the grocery store, as we're uh, in traffic. You know, a lot of people lose their testimony when they get in traffic. Would you agree? I mean, it's pretty easy to get pretty frustrated, especially if you drive a whole lot in Wichita. I think the majority of the people in Wichita have bought a, a, a $60,000 car and the turn signals don't work, you know? They just don't seem to want to use their turn signals for some reason. But as we go, every one of us, we, we all showed up here this morning, but every one of us is going to leave this building a little bit later this morning. And we're going to go places. And it's as we go that we share the gospel. It's not like I set aside a little time over here on, and say, well, on Mondays at 2 o'clock, I'm going to do evangelism. On Mondays at 2 o'clock, I'm going to fulfill the Great Commission. I'm going to find somebody to talk to. No, it's literally as we go. And God will give us those opportunities if we're open to him and we listen to him. You know, last week I said, uh, many people are negative about the church. And what was the reason I said they were negative about the church? They're negative about the church because they feel like they've been wronged by one individual in the church. And then they project that negativity on the whole, the church as a whole, right or wrong. If they have been wronged by a person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, and they, and they really get frustrated, they're going to project that to the whole church. So the, the way you and I live as Christians is vitally important. And we have to remember that as we, as we are going, everywhere that we go, no matter what we do, people are watching. And it is as we go that we have those opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with people who need the to, who need some good news in their lives. I think about it as sowing uh, the threads of the gospel into my life. Just sowing the thread of the gospel in my life. It's got to kind of be the central part of who I am. And it's just part of as I wander through the world. And as I'm going, I have the thread of the gospel going through my life. I talk about 
God as someone that I know and love and who loves me and someone that I worship and that cares for me and answers questions. I talk about the difficulties in the world. We have to acknowledge the difficulties in the, of the world, but in a spirit of, a spirit of hope and unexplainable joy. There's a great difference between how you, you and I as Christians approach the world and those who don't know Jesus. Every trial that you and I face is an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Remember, somebody's always watching, and how you deal with trial in your life may be the very thing that encourages a person who's about to give up. We talk about Jesus. We could talk about the people he healed. We could talk about what he taught, the miracles he performed, how he served when he was on the face of this earth, that he died on the cross, but that he rose from the dead. And what always strikes me is the Bible says, he sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And Jesus himself went through the waters of baptism to be an example for you and me. So as we go through the waters of baptism, we identify with the body of Christ that meets in this place. It demonstrates to the world the, the outward appearance of a, an inward reality. When I go through the waters of baptism, I'm saying, I'm following after Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. It's the outward symbol of an inward reality that Jesus is my Lord. We can talk about the Holy Spirit. I know sometimes we tend to shy away from the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, part of who God is. Uh, and Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter to be with you, and he will lead you into all truth. So we talk about the Holy Spirit and his abiding presence in our life. The Bible says when we don't know how to pray, this Holy Spirit will intercede for us and bring our concern to the Father. We can talk about the comfort and the guidance that the Holy Spirit brings to us as we obey the commands of Jesus. And then thirdly, after we've uh, obeyed the commands of Jesus, we come to the point where we trust the presence of Jesus. Trust the presence of Jesus in our life. He said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So trust in the presence of Jesus. It's a reality that we experience in our lives and in our church. And uh, another passage that I really love is Ephesians 3, the 20th verse. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. It is his power that is at work within us that enables us to know that he is present with us. And so as we trust the presence of Jesus, we will have opportunities to invite other people to trust in the presence of Jesus. Not because we have all the answers or we have evangelistic zeal, but because it will be the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in my life that convicts the person that I'm speaking to. A big part of trusting in the presence of Jesus is allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. And allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us depends a great deal on my prayer life. It's almost directly proportional. My, my prayer life is going to determine how much I allow the Holy Spirit to work 
in my life. Because God's will for us is a, to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus. That's our call. And we, ha we may be afraid. We may fear that we're gonna offend someone. We may fear that we will say the wrong thing. Uh, we may feel that we're gonna be rejected or just the fear of an awkward conversation. Just the simple fear of an awkward conversation. Because when we, you know, we can talk about God with people, but when we begin to talk about Jesus, people get uncomfortable. They get a little antsy. You can see it starting to move around. And I, I, I find it interesting, anytime I hear Franklin Graham uh, speak in, in the, on the news, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but every time I see Franklin Graham speak on the news about whatever it is that he's talking about, before that conversation is over, he always comes back to it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And he, Franklin does that every time. And oftentimes as I'm watching that, I can see the, the newscaster over here is getting very uncomfortable. And they want, how am I going to get out of this? How are we going to change the subject? What? But Franklin just presses on. It's about Jesus. He says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So Franklin presses on. It's an opportunity that God gives him that you and I don't have. And it's as he goes, as he's being interviewed for a particular situation, he says, I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus. Because that's what God's called me to do. And that's what God's gifted me to do. And he's given me opportunity to speak the name of Jesus on a much bigger platform than you and I have. So I would, I would just suggest as we begin to think about our mission, think about, I don't know, pick a number, two or three, four or five people that you know, and you know that they don't follow after Jesus. And begin to think about that person, those persons, whoever they are, even write them down if you want. But pray specifically, pray for God through the power of the Holy Spirit to draw each of those folks to himself. When I pray, oftentimes I, I pray for our family and I pray uh, for our immediate family and our extended family. God, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, draw them to yourself. Draw them to the family, to the kingdom. And God, if there's a part I'm to play in that, show me what it is because I want my family to know Jesus. So pray for uh, God to draw them into the family. Pray for God to give you the grace to say the right thing at the right time. Pray for God to give you boldness to overcome fear and self-consciousness. Pray for opportunities throughout each day to simply have a conversation with somebody. You know what, as you begin to pray those kinds of prayers, I believe that God will prepare the people that you're praying for to hear what you have to say to them. I truly do. As we begin to pray about those people, God will give you opportunities to share with them. And I just encourage you to take it. Um, it's, it, it. Every unbeliever that God has put in your life is a sinner who's in need of a savior. You and I were once that person. I was once that person. I was lost. I was 
I was totally lost, separated from God. But someone intentionally shared the gospel with us. Do you realize that? Somebody intentionally shared the gospel with you. It didn't just happen. That person had, they, they may not have known they were gonna share the gospel with you, but they had prayed those prayers that I've talked about. And the, in their heart and mind, they were looking for opportunities to share the good news as time went on, as they went on their way, wherever they were going. Someone intentionally shared the gospel with me, asked me a couple questions that made me think and made me realize what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. This is the purpose for which God has saved you. You know, if, if there wasn't anything for us to do, why didn't God just save us and then take us right to heaven, right? I mean, I'm for that. The world you and I live in is kind of a crazy place, isn't it? If God would save me and take me to heaven, that'd be great, but he didn't do that. He left us here for a purpose, and that purpose is to share the good news of the gospel with people who need to hear the good news. So he's called us as living stones. He's called us to be a living sacrifice. He's called us to have a yielded life to the gospel. He transforms our minds with his truth, fulfills our desires with his joy, and conforms our ways to his will. He has called us, you and me, to join together in this place to accomplish one all-consuming mission to the declaration of the gospel the good news of Jesus to people that we cross paths with every day so I want you as you think about it as you go look for those opportunities to simply share your story this is what God has done for me Nobody can take away your story. Share your story. It involves all of us, every one of us. We're all called to the front line in this mission. Every disciple of Jesus has been created, loved, called, and saved to make disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus. And that's how the kingdom spreads. One person at a time, hearing the good news, the story of what God's done in your life. I read somewhere someone said, this is a call worth dying for because we serve a king worth living for. Let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning for your call upon our lives. We recognize it's a, hall, it's a high calling. It's a calling to yield our lives fully and totally and to you. And I just pray, Lord, as we leave here this morning that we're encouraged that sharing the, the good news of the gospel isn't a burden, but it is something that I simply do as I live my life. As I'm going on my way, there will be those opportunities to share the good news of the gospel. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan. As he was traveling along the way, 
an opportunity came to minister to an enemy. But he was open to your leading. And he ministered to that enemy of his and made things right for him. So Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us that we'd recognize that you've called us to share the good news as we go. And I just pray that you'll open those doors. In Jesus' name, amen.